0: I hope you're more excited to go to heaven than you are that. And, uh, <clears throat> I know it's snowy like, but it, the, this is where the life of God is inside of here. Yes. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, it's always good for us. We enjoy getting away but especially the beginning of the year, we try to take an extra week or so in there to get not just some rest, but a chance to get refreshed. And, and I, when I'm away like that, God's able to speak to me sometimes more clearly uh, than when I'm here. He's able to speak anytime. Let's put it this way. I'm more open to listen because I'm not as easily distracted. And in the services that we went to there, I went with the purpose of God. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to hear. I'm not going to look at, you know, who's speaking. I, I want to hear what you're saying to me. And I heard something very clearly to me. And I want to, I'm not going to share what that is with you yet. You will hear it eventually. But I want, to, I want to encourage you in that because God wants to say something to you this morning. And what I'm going to talk about this morning, God's already been talking to me about. And God wants to say something to you. So we're going to start again. We're going to finish, the, I believe, this series we've been doing called Seasons. And uh, kind of appropriate this time of year because we're in a season. But the good news is this season is going to end... And we're going to go into the next season. And the next season's when the warm weather starts coming, the snow melts away, the birds begin to chirp louder, the, the flowers begin, the little crocuses begin to pop through and see what the weather's like. And you know, sometimes they get a shock. And, uh, you know, but we know what's coming. We know what's coming because a new season's coming. And so life, our climate, where we live is, is the process of change, always in the process of change. And we spend some time talking about that. And the reason we're talking about seasons and, the, and change, which is part of that, is so that we can learn how to flow with that and cooperate with it. Because there are changes that God brings into our life. And many times we, re, we miss it because we don't realize what it is, or we resist it and fight it. We talked about human nature as we don't like change. We just like things the way they are. Why? Because we're comfortable. Because change involves some uncertainty. We don't know what it's going to be now. Change from winter to spring isn't so scary because we know what spring brings and what. But there's some changes in life you don't know what's coming next. You don't know what's life, and there's nothing there's nothing about life that's guaranteed to us next, other than some certain things, which is they're going to come a point when it ends. That's guaranteed to us. So. It's learning how do we flow with this and cooperate with this and then also get the most out of the season that we're in because God has us in seasons for a reason. And, and so our, our key verse is Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. To everything there is a season and a time to everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. So God has times for our lives, times for the time in a church for which He has a purpose for that season. But then He has the right to change seasons. And so He has a purpose for that change and He has a purpose for that new season. And so I really felt impressed to begin to look at what God... So we've spent this time really a lot over last year and I've spent a lot of time in prayer just looking back on where are we as a church? Where am I in my life? I mean, I know chronologically where I am. But where am I in my spiritual walk? Just because I've been saved for, what, 38 years doesn't mean I've progressed as far as I should. Where am I? Where is this church, God? Show us where we are. And what, 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 what is? Just because we've been doing something the same way doesn't mean we need to keep doing it that way. Now there are certain things that should never change. The word never changes. But, but, but there may be things we can do in a better way because we have a younger generation coming in. And if we don't adjust and change, what's going to happen is, is the young, younger generations are coming they can't they can't relate. And they'll go somewhere else and we'll end up dying as a church. And that's not what God's will is for us. So we have to learn to adjust. That doesn't mean we do everything the way everybody wants to do it. But Lord, what is your, just follow you and your change. But we have to be willing to change. God's, the greatest lesson on this, it, to me, is in the Old Testament, is the way God led the children of Israel in the wilderness. There's a verse in somewhere, I think it's Numbers 11, where it says, and wherever the cloud went, when the cloud moved, they moved. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. It's that simple. Whatever the cloud went, that was the presence of God. That's where they went. When the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. And sometimes that was for months and maybe even years. And so it's learning to follow God in what he's doing and not try to tell God where to go and what you're going to do, but learning how to follow God. So we've talked about that. We've talked about the attitude of change and we've looked at the importance of it. We've looked at some resistance that we can have, commonplace myths, like I'm too old, you know, and that's just, that's just a lie from the pit of hell, because you're going to change one way or the other in certain ways, you know. Uh, you know, I may be too old to get old, <laughs> but I'm still going to get old. <laughs> so, then we, looked, we began to look at, at the attitude of change, and that's where we really finished last time. We went through several attitudes. One of them was the desire to change. If you don't want to change, you won't change. The second thing is an openness, which is means you're teachable. You're willing to learn. You're able to learn. No matter what age you are, you've got to be willing to learn. So the tendency as we get older is we can't teach people things, but that's not true. It's just that we, we get lazy and we get comfortable. And I'm learning more now, at this stage of life, than I was learning before, because I know how much more, how much more I need to learn. And it's the old adage that, you know, the, the more you learn, the more you realize the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And that's literally true. And then we began to look. The, the next one, the third attitude was truth. It's the willingness to be open to truth. It's very similar to being teachable. But am I willing to look at the truth about myself? Am I looking to really let the Spirit of God look down inside of me and show me truth? Because He's not going to condemn us, but He's going to want us to shine the light of truth in us because none of us are doing everything perfectly, starting with me. None of us are right about everything, including me but we want to learn and grow. And then the last thing we ended up, the last a- element of this attitude of change was the price. Is, the, is there's no, no, The whole thing that the, the physical trainers just say, no pain, no gain. And there are certain changes in life that require some pain we have to go through. And that's what keeps so many people from changing is I would get excited about it. I see the reason for it. But when it comes to paying the price, I don't want to let go of what I knew before. Pastor Kurt was talking earlier about the ministry we have here called From the Ruins, and talking about it's there to help people go through the go. And the key word is go through the grieving process. And the biggest error I've seen people is they refuse to either refuse to grieve, and so they never they never. There's there's a purpose for that process that God has designed, which is to heal and make whole. And if you're not willing to even enter into the grieving, you're never going to get whole. It's like having an abscess that that festers underneath, but it never gets lanced and and healed. But the other mistake I've seen is people go into the grieving process, but they stay in it. And I was talking to somebody the other day that was talking about all that we've been through, all that we've been through. And I said, well, how long ago was it that you went through it? Well, it was last year. I said, then you're through it. So stop thinking about what you went through or you're going to go through it again mentally and emotionally. There's a time to let go of things. There's a season and then there's a time to let go of it and move on to the next season. But that can be painful. And just the uncertainty of it is of of what's next is painful. So what I want to begin to talk about now we've talked about the attitude of change. Today we're going to talk about the action of change. And I left with this point Three weeks ago, I guess it was. It's an old, old one of, with wonderful uh, Ed Cole. Ed Cole was a ma- had a men's ministry. And we had his videos here for many years. And he went home to be with the Lord a number of years ago. He had some very practical, pithy statements. And one of them was, Change is not change until you change you can believe in change you can talk about change you can get excited about change you can praise change you can rejoice in change you can have change posters all over your car and all over your refrigerator you can do all of that but that's not change change isn't change until you change the women should understand that because men like to talk about changing we like to talk about it but we don't like to do it we like to make statements about it. Oh yes, honey, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, and and we've just come through the first part of a year when people make all kinds of New Year's resolutions. What's a New Year's resolution? It's a statement I'm going to change, but it's not change until you change. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about this because this is where most of us miss it, and this is one of the things God's been dealing with me about to open up my. Am I willing to look at areas where I I see things, believe in them, even preach them, but I may not be fully willing to do some of them. And it's what you're willing to do that's going to determine what you will do. So change is not change until we actually change. So let's go to James chapter 1. And there's a lot of of teaching on faith in this issue, but we're going to approach it from the point of view of just change. James chapter 1. Verse twenty-one. Now we're going to. T- he's talking here. In fact, with those of you who've been here on Wednesday nights, we've been going through chapter one of, of, of James, and we will get through chapter one of James. Uh, but we're going to pick up here in verse twenty-one. He's talking about uh, uh, going. Th- he's talking about res- here. He's just come out of talking about resisting temptation. He's talking about going through a trial. And we and and again, if you are interested in the difference in a trial and a, and a and a temptation, a test and a temptation. You need to get the, the CDs or the podcast from the Wednesday night series I've been doing on James. But he's going to talk here now about the key element here. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness. He's just talked about temptation to do evil, temptation for bad things. And the overflow or the excess of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. So the Word of God has to be received for it to do any good. We looked a number of weeks ago at the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, where Jesus says, if you can understand this parable... You can under, you can receive everything else I'm talking about. But if you don't get this message, you won't receive what I'm talking about. And it was all about receiving the word and allowing the word to do its work in us. And one of the principles in that parable is the power of God and the life of God to bring the change of God into our lives is all contained in this word. But it's what we do with that word. It's the receiving of that word into our heart. Having the word, and this is a perfect example, having the word, having 25 Bibles. I mean, I've got in my Bible app, I've got 34 different translations at my fingertips, 24 hours a day. We're without excuse. Look at all they did in the first century, and they didn't have a Bible. We have all of these resources, and and if you don't have a Bible app, you just have to Google some things, and Google will give you the scriptures. But it's not the word that you have. It's not the word, the Bibles that you have. It's not even the word that you read. It's the word that gets implanted in your heart that brings about a change. So receive with meekness. You can't receive it in arrogance. You can't receive it as the as the Israelites were in the Old Testament, stiff-necked. This goes back to the openness. You can't receive the word. You can read it, but you can't receive it unless you have a meek attitude which is, I'm open to whatever God wants to say to me. Instead of, I'm decided ahead of time what I'm willing to do, what I'm willing to listen to, what I want. That's not meekness. Meekness is, I need to hear from you, God. Speak to me. Speak to me. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save or make whole or deliver your souls. I don't believe he's talking about whether you go to heaven or not. I think he's talking about that word save means to make whole. It means to bring the life of God into your soul, which is your personality, your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the part of us that we experience. And many people's souls are struggling or in bondage, and God wants to save us and set us free. But it's the receiving of the implanted word that does that. Let's go to verse 22. But that always means, oh, wait a minute, stop here. It's not enough to receive the implanted word, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So it's not just the word that we hear, it's the word that we hear and then apply in our lives. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So you have to hear it first. You have to receive it first, but receiving it with meekness doesn't bring about the change. It's then acting on what you've seen, acting on what you've received, especially when it's something that goes off in the heart. See, God, anybody realize God knows what He's doing? Some of you do. Okay, that's good. God put His Spirit in us to lead us into truth, Jesus said. Truth about ourselves, truth about who God is, truth about God's will. So the Spirit of God is in you, speaking to you. I opened this morning by saying when we were away, and I'm sitting in this beautiful church we were in, which we go to when we're in that area, and I went in and I purposed in my heart. In fact, that morning I said, God, I believe there are things I need to hear, and I'll be undistracted this morning. I want to open my heart to whatever it is you want to say to me. And some of the things I heard, I didn't want to hear. (laughs) <laughs> but I had this message on my mind, <laughs> and I had to deal with the attitude that I had, well, there's some things I just don't want to hear, because you see, once I hear them, I'm now responsible, and so our heart can be very tricky this way, so, but, but be doers of the word, and not hearers only, look at this, deceiving yourselves, now the Bible tells us that there's somebody that's a deceiver anybody remember who that is? Satan's a deceiver he deceived in the garden and he still works that way he works by deceit so it's one thing if Satan's deceived you it's another thing to do it to yourself I mean that's about as stupid I can't think of any better word that's about as stupid as we can get and yet we do it It's one thing for somebody else to deceive you. What's the old expression? You know, fooled once, it's on them. Fooled a second time, it's on me. And so it's one thing for somebody else to deceive you. It's another thing to do it to yourself. There's enough battle out there as it is without deceiving ourselves. Because understand what what deceit means. I think I'm walking in truth, but I'm not. I'll put it down in natural terms you ever gone along on, on, a, on a, this kind of weather and you're following and a truck pulls in front of you and suddenly all this slush comes up on your window? You just go along anyway? Well, I know where the road goes basically because I go, you know, I drive from FCC home every Sunday so I don't need to look, see through the window. No, no, no. You do, you what? You turn your windshield wipers on to get the deceit out of the way because that slush is confusing and blinding your eyes. You're still seeing but you're not seeing clearly and you're not seeing truth. And we're talking about spiritual truth now. That's natural truth. And we have enough common sense to know, wait a minute, or if you get something in your eye in the summertime and the dust blows in, something goes in your eye, and your eye starts watering, if you can't clear it out, you're going to pull over, I hope, to the side of the road until you can get your eyes cleared out. And I certainly hope you're not texting while you're driving. (laughs) And so, but, but we have enough common sense that if I can't see perfectly clearly, I'm going to stop because something bad is going to happen if I keep going at 60 miles an hour and I'm not seeing clearly. And yet spiritually, we go along at faster speeds and we have no, we're not even entertaining the idea of whether I'm seeing clearly or not. Now, this was not where I was planning on going this morning. But this is where I think God's leading us. One of the things that that that, that I want not say brings chills down my spine. One of the things that makes sobers me up when it comes and, and Peter talks about being sober. I don't mean not drinking, but you know what I'm saying. Being alert, being sp- serious, is all the things towards the end of the New Testament that talk about. In the last days, many are going to be deceived. It's talking about Christians. Many Christians are going to be deceived. And I believe there are many of them out there that already are, because there's all, the thing, all kinds of things, teachings and doctrines that have access to us now 24 hours a day TV, phone. just because something's on a Christian station does not mean it's truth. And I'm not thinking of any in mind, because I've seen them put some good people, put things people on there, and I'm, why in the world did you put them on? Because there are all kinds of things out there. There are many. John says there are many voices out there. Or Paul does. Many voices out there, and none of them have no significance. So there's voices trying to speak at us. So it's one thing for that. It's another thing if we deceive ourselves. And look what he's saying. If you're hearing the word, if it's getting in you, and you're not then acting on it, that, that doesn't mean you're mastering it. But if you have the attitude that I'm going to do what I hear. And we need help that doesn't mean we're going to do it perfectly but we have the attitude, I'm going to apply it in my life not just listen to it we deceive ourselves we deceive ourselves now, I was meditating on this one day and I said, alright Lord, how does that how, how, what does it mean, how, how can that deceive me and he began to show me the answer just even in my own life <clears throat> you ever been in a position like i was last sunday no sunday two sundays ago i'm sitting in the service i know god's dealing with me about something and i hear the exact message i need to hear and i hear it in here and i got excited because i could hear what god was saying to me and there's a or, or you're seeking for an answer god i don't know what to do my finances are in trouble and and, and and god begins to bring a message to you like are you tithing and you hear from God, there's a certain relief that comes. There's a certain joy that comes when you hear something, when you hear truth. I'm convinced that what people want and need today more than anything else, whether you're in your 90s or you're 19, is to hear truth. To hear truth. When we hear truth, it resonates with us. And people, by and large, want to know the truth because there's so little truth out there. So when we hear it, There's this there's this period where we feel good. I saw the truth, and whenever God speaks to us, it brings faith because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So when we hear the truth, when we hear something, when we hear a good message, then it kind of inspires us, or or even corrects us because godly correction it feels good. It hurts a little bit, but it feels good because there's a relief in it. Here, put the verse back up, please. Here's where the deception comes. Because then I mistake what I saw and how I felt for the change. I'll give you an example, and I'm not thinking of anybody in here, but suppose it's, it's, and I remember when I first heard about tithing. I went, what? (laughs) You want me to give what? (laughs) Because I was a deacon in our church, I don't think anybody was saved there but I was a deacon in our church and I helped look at the reports and we were one of the biggest givers and I think we gave like $20 a week on a good week and I was working for a big law firm at the time and we got paid once a month and I heard 10% and I'm not all that great on math but I went quickly to what 10% of that monthly check was my jaw hit my lap now i got a choice to make what am i going to do see hearing the truth although it kind of made me uncomfortable there's when you hear something when you hear truth there's a certain encouragement that you get there's a certain even if it's correction now i know what to do now i see the answer now i see clearly but the deception is we mistake that feeling we mistake that hope we mistake that promise for the results and if I just looked at that and said well that's that's a good thing I can see where the principle is but I never did it I wouldn't be where I am today because it was in the process of doing it that it became real to me we're going to look more carefully at that everybody understand that so the deception the deception is we equate oh this is good we, in, we equate our intent to change with actual change. Because that's what happened to me. I saw what the Lord was telling to me and I'm saying, yes, I want to do that. And when you say, I want to do it, I felt good. But the deception is, that's not change. That's just wanting to change. And the intent to change isn't change. And it'll make you feel good, but the deception is, I, I, I mistake the intention For the actual change. Okay, all right. Now let's go to verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror, verse 24. For he observes himself and goes away, and immediately he forgets what kind of man he is. Here's the other thing when you hear the word, but you don't do it. Because when, when, when I'm not talking about hearing it with these ears, I'm talking about hearing it in here. I assume most of you have had the experience of either sitting in church here or listening to a CD or watching something, hearing something on television and it, it goes off in you. It's like it hits your heart. It touches you inside. That's the hearing I'm talking about. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you, getting your attention, and, and that feels, there's a, there's a goodness, a good feeling that comes with that. But what he's saying is that if you don't then act on that, that impression you have on the inside will begin to fade away. You'll have a, listen carefully, you'll have a mental memory of it, but what you see in your mind does not give you enough strength and power to do it. It's what you see and hear that does that. We talked a great deal of time towards the end of last year about walking in the spirit. Walking in tune with what's going on in here, not up here. And so it's not that we don't think, but, when you, when you, but what happens is when you hear and hear, and then you don't act on that, it goes the other direction. It goes back up into your head. It gets stored in the memory vaults of your head. You can pull out the thought. You can pull out the idea but the impression from God to do it has faded away it's not that God withdrew it it just fades the way your, 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 your image in a mirror fades if you stop looking at it verse 25 but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty that's the word and continues in it and is, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in what he does the blessing comes In the doing of it. The blessing comes in the doing of it. We're not going to turn there, but in John 13, 17. Jesus has just finished washing the disciples' feet. And He's taught them a very important lesson. Not in their minds, but this impacted their hearts. And then Jesus finishes. And it's in verse 17. He says, If you know these things, blessed are you, if you do them. Yeah. The blessing isn't in the knowing. The blessing's in the doing. Yeah. So you can know things. And all of us in this room right now, starting with me, we know things we're not doing. Yes. And if you're having trouble getting revelation, insight, direction from God, one of the first places to look, is there, is there something He's shown you to do that you haven't done. Because very often, the light that God gives, not His love, but the direction that God gives, stops at the last thing He told you to do, that you didn't do. See, there's sometimes we just want to skip steps. But God is very purposeful, very direct in leading us where He wants us to go. And sometimes because we don't see it, or maybe we don't want to do it, we want to skip that step, and we want to go from this thing to the blessing. And so, have you ever gone up the steps too fast and you tripped going up the steps? That's embarrassing. <laughs> Tripping going down the steps is dangerous. That can happen. But when you go, trip going up the steps, it's because you did something foolish. You were in too much of a hurry and you didn't watch where you're going and you tripped. And, and our walk with God can be like that. We want to skip a step and we're not, He knows we're not ready to take the third step. We're only ready for the next step. And that step may be something we don't want to do or go through, but if he'll stop there for our protection. So so the blessing comes not in the hearing. We need to have the hearing or we won't know what to do. The blessing comes in hearing and then doing. Okay, now let's go to James chapter 2. And here's one of the most important faith principles I ever learned, and I'm still learning but it applies to what we're doing here because it talks about this now what he's just talking about here the wonderful (laughs) balance in the Bible is that and this is where we can get off track the book of Hebrews and, and all of Paul's writings talks about we're saved by faith and Hebrews talks about the grace that God's brought to us and it goes through a series of things that the Jews of that time were tempted to trust in other than what Christ did for them. And the writer of Hebrews goes through and eliminates them all. So it's not the angels, it's not Melchizedek, it's not all these other things that you've trusted in, but it's Christ. And it's the covenant that God's made with us through Christ. And because of that, we can enter in. He talks of Hebrews 4, 3 and 4, about receiving this by faith and faith alone and entering into God's rest, which is received by faith. So the book of Hebrews is about the relationship, and part of what it is, is about the relationship that we have with God through just trusting Him, just faith in Christ and what He's done. And then you go over to James and it seems to be contradicting him. In fact, Martin Luther at one point thought James shouldn't be in the Bible because it thought it was undermining the doctrine that he had rediscovered, which is that we're saved by by grace through faith. But it's through faith. It's not by grace alone. Grace is God's part. But it's by grace from God's part received on our part through faith so it does take faith now he's going to talk about faith and he's talking about the physical example is that you know somebody comes to you and they're just they're out of food they have no place to live and you say brother I love you be warmed be filled I'm praying for you and you have the means of meeting their physical needs James, John chapter 3 talks about, is that really love so what he's saying is my intentions even the love and desire of my heart doesn't do any good unless I act on that desire unless I act on that love and it's not in here but imagine if God Pastor Kurt said it so beautifully God loves us unconditionally there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's been given to us in Christ Jesus but imagine if God just sat in heaven and looked down at the sorry mess we were Theron I love you brother I love you, I love you, I love you, Don, Kathy, I love you, I mean you're going to hell because you've messed up and I'm really sorry about that, it breaks my heart to see you have to go to hell, it breaks my heart to see you in the ownership and clutches of Satan, it breaks my, I love you so much, this hurts me to see you go through that, I'm just so so sorry, You're gonna, I'm going to lose you forever, I'm just so sorry. Because I love you so much. What good would that have done? That's not love. That love compelled him to pay whatever it cost to rescue you and me to have us. There's a verse in, in Isaiah 43 where God talks about And This is one of the verses I really held on to and meditated on as I went through the treatments I went through last summer. God says and starts by saying, He's talking to Israel. And he says, I created you, O Jacob. I formed you, O Israel, which is making you we want you. I redeemed you. Fear not, I've I've redeemed you. I called you by your name, you're mine. Then he says, "I'll go through the or go you have to go through the waters. I'll be with you. The rivers will not overflow you when you go through the fire. That's what I held on to. You shall not be burned, because you because you are precious in my sight. I've given other men's lives for you. Because I've loved you, you're favored, and I will give." And he named some of the people, peoples he gave for them. And I was meditating on that and I was saying personally, God, you loved me so much. You created me. You formed me. You've redeemed me. You've delivered me. And I am precious in your sight. And because of that, you gave and then I realized who he gave. You gave your son to ransom me. God didn't just look at me and say, you're precious in my sight. I love you. But because of that, he acted on that. Paul, in talking to the Corinthians, trying to rebuke them, he says, the love of Christ compels me, constrains me. I have to, I don't, Paul was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A is a servant not because he has to, but because he chooses to. Jesus talks about in his ta- last discussions with the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not if you fear me. You, if you love me. Because you love me, you will do what I say. That's what he wants. He wants us to obey him because we love him, because we want to see his will plan. because we want to see him pleased, because we want to we please his heart and satisfy his heart. That's what God, that's what a mature child does. Not so I don't get a spanking. We want our children to grow up and, 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 and do what's right in our eyes because they love us and then ultimately because they love God. So this is what he's talking about here. That's the background here. So now look at how he applies that. Verse 17. Thus also faith, in the same way, it doesn't do any good to say to somebody, be warmed and be filled when you've got the physical means to to meet that need. In other words, just saying, just having in your heart, I don't like to see you suffer like that. When you have the ability to get them out of the suffering, what's that do? In the same way, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead or useless. And this is what Luther got upset about. Because he doesn't, James is not talking about here if you, you, that, that you works get you into heaven. That your works save you in the sense of, uh, because it's by faith in what, you, your works, I don't care how good you are, you can't do good enough works to make yourself righteous. Our righteousness comes as a free gift from God because Christ took our unrighteousness and gave us His righteousness. But, I've heard it expressed this way, that if your faith in Him doesn't begin to show up some change in your life, that raises a question whether you really put your faith in Him. A better way to read this is, thus faith by itself, if it does not have some corresponding action, Is dead. If you, if you, if and I've done this many times. If you plant a, you know, a plant a seed for a, a flower, and you water it and you fertilize it and you water it and you fertilize it and you water it and you fertilize it, put it out in the sun. You planted a seed in there, but if nothing ever comes up, that's some indication it's dead it's not producing anything. I've had some plants that, that I let this, we were away and they didn't get watered or just I didn't take care of them right or something like that and I come out on our back deck and it's and I'll keep watering it because some of them come back to life but after a while, my wife had to get me about one of them this year, she said, don't you think it's dead? <laughs> so what James is saying here is, is because what happens when you're born again is God comes to live inside of you he took your old heart out your old nature out and he put his heart his nature which is what love he put that nature in you and in James is saying here that nature ought to begin to show up somewhere there ought to be some little shoots popping out somewhere in fact over in first John he basically says that he says you know if, if you're not if there's not luck the, the, the proof there's a change that took place in us is the love that's seen in our lives now we're all growing we're not all there yet but there ought to be some kind of little shoot of love something coming out of our hearts that's different than what was coming out before and if not I mean it made me literally go back and reevaluate not whether I was saved but God what kind of change took place in me because there's some fruit of the spirit I don't see coming out of me the way I think they ought to be coming out of me And God opened my eyes as a result of that to make a change inside of me that I needed to have made. Because I was looking at the fruit, not condemning myself. I don't see this. There ought to be some... So faith by itself, if it does not have some corresponding action, is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say to you, will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You can't show your faith without your works because faith is in the heart and it needs to be there. But it's not released. It's not in action, it's not birth. It's not I like to put it it's not hatched until there's some action on it. Let's look at verse 19 then, you believe there's one God, you do well, pat yourself on the back, but even the demons believe, and they tremble, so the fact that you believe there's one God doesn't mean it's good, we need to do that, but the demons believe there's one God, And, and guess where they're going, where they are. Not only that, they're ahead of most Christians. They believe there's one God, and they tremble. They have a fear of God, a reverence for God, which most Christians today don't. So they believe there's one God, but that didn't save them, that didn't keep them from rebelling against God. Verse 20. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? That word means useless. It has no power. Verse 21. Now he's going to use an example here. Was not our father, Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son to the altar? Now stop there a second. This could be confusing because if you've just come here after reading Romans chapter 4, you're going to wonder whoa, 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 wait a minute. Here's one of those examples where the Bible contradicts itself. I told you, Margaret. You can't trust that Bible. It contradicts itself. I just read, you read to me. The preacher just said Romans 4 we're saved by faith, and Abraham is the father of our faith. And now he's saying Abraham wasn't justified by faith, he was justified by works. Well, the Bible doesn't contradict itself, it balances itself. You understand that if you're looking at me with both eyes, that you can tell that I'm closer to you than that wall back there. Because of something that's known as depth of perception. And that's, you can tell, it's 3D, that's the term we use. And you can do that because you have two eyes, this is why God gave you two eyes. And your two eyes look at me and that wall from two different, slightly different angles. So your left eye is seeing it from one angle and your right eye is seeing it from a different angle but your brain doesn't argue over which one's right. If it did, you would sit there in total confusion. Your brain's able to handle the different perspectives and look, listen to me carefully, it blends them together. And by blending the two different views together, they're both true, the two... You get a depth of field. I'll never forget the first time I listened to a stereo record. It was my uncle's place. I was probably, it was years, obviously years ago. And he was playing classical music. He said, "Listen to this." And he put it, because for those of you who are the young, it used to be mono, which means it was one track. The left ear heard the same thing the right ear heard. And I put these on and it was like, "Oh my goodness, it's like the orchestra's inside my head." It wasn't, obviously but they record from two different sides, or more than that, tracks, from two different sides or multiple sides of the orchestra, so your brain hears the two different tracks and blends them together. Well, the Bible's like that. Romans 4 talks about faith from the point of view of taking God as His Word and, and believing God's Word and trusting in what God says. And that's what I trust in. But Romans... But James 2 talks about, okay, but that's not enough. I've got to at some point, when I act on that, I give birth to what I believed in my heart. And the example they're both referring to is Abraham. Abraham had to believe God's promise before Isaac could be conceived to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, barren, by the way. But then God... Years later, in Genesis 22, told Abraham to bring that son, that only son that he loved, that God gave him and made him believe him for, bring it up on a mountain to sacrifice him, to put a knife in his heart, and then burn him up with the altar. See, Abraham didn't see an inconsistency there. This is where most of us would get lost. Wait a minute, that's the devil. I rebuke you because I know God gave me this child, I know God believed, therefore I rebuke you. But he knew God's voice. He didn't bother trying to figure out is this consistent or inconsistent, he just trusted God. And Hebrews 11 tells us that what he believed is if necessary God would raise him up from the dead because God promised that through this boy you'll be the father of many nations. That's how much he he trusted God. But the proof of it was not sitting in his tent saying, God, even if I had to sacrifice this boy, I'd love you. I love you more than I love this boy. That's easy to do, sitting in your tent next to your son. It's another thing when God says, Take him to the mountain and drive a knife at his heart and burn him up. Now, if you think God's told you to do that, you better be really sure. <laughs> He's not likely to tell you to do that. But he may tell you to put something else to death that he's given you. He may tell you to take something that God's given to you and ask you to give it back to him. In fact, he often does that. He had me do that with the gifting and the anointing God's put on my life. He had me give it back to him. And I never knew whether I was ever going to get it back again. Because I needed to know, I needed to know, and God needed to know that he was first. At one point he says, what if, I never, what if I didn't call you? What if this wasn't what I called you to do? What are you willing to do? And I said, Father, I realize in my heart, I had to say this really. He says, "If you don't, I don't want to do anything you haven't given me to do. And something broke in my life. What happened is what God had put in me was now set free. So Abraham was justified by works because what happened, we'll go to the next verse. Don't you see that faith was working together with his works and by his works, the faith was made perfect. That word means complete. I I like to describe it this way. It's not the best example, but right now it's the best one I can think of. What you believe in your heart is the potential of what God can do but it only stays as potential until you begin to act on it. When you act on it, you release the faith that's in your heart so it becomes a reality outside of you. It's kind of like the faith is the chicken embryo in the egg, and then when it's hatched, it's released. So as you act on what you believe, it, it brings the, what you believe into a reality. It's kind of like an architect. We had, when we were going to do this, redo the stage, we hired an architect. And the first thing we talked about, what things it could look like and what kind of design it could have. And I said, I want you to come back to me with some renderings, some, just, some general s- sketches of what this could look like. And he came back to me with a architect sketch, it was done electronically, of basically what this looks like now. So now I could see it, but it was in me and then I wanted to make sure it was in him. But having it in him, it had to get on a piece of paper so that now it can be shown to the contractors to turn it into a reality. But if, that never, if we never acted on that, it's going to still be in me. It's going to be an image in me. One of our sons is an, is an artist. He's a, he's a designer. And he, he just, now he does a lot of things with videos, but he, he used to draw things and designs and images he had. But as long as they were in him, they weren't a reality. It's when he began to take them outside of him and begin to act on them and draw them out. So a lot of people think that acting on faith is another check mark to earning something from God. No, it's what releases it. Unless you act on it, what, and what will happen eventually is what you believe in your heart will begin to fade, just like the looking in the mirror will begin to fade. When that faith gets in your heart, you need to do something to act on it. And God will show you what to do. But we're talking about change now. The principle that change doesn't change until you change. So just because you see the change, just because you see or are excited about the change, doesn't mean you've changed. You have to, the other last step is you have to, act to actually do some things towards the change. And many times God's waiting for us to take our step before He'll come behind you and give you direction. Because what we want to do, is God will show us something that maybe we need to change in our lives or change here and I've got to deal with this too and then we see it and then we wait for God to show us some sign that we should do this okay God I'm willing I see the need for this and often God's saying there's no faith in that take a step of faith of what you see and as you begin to take that step I'll direct you whether that was right or not It's much easier to change the direction of something that's moving than it is to get something moving. In fact, I've seen pictures where they can take a a, a railroad boxcar and if it's already rolling, you or I could keep it rolling. But for you and I to start it, not going to happen. So God will wait because when we begin to do that, we're releasing what we see and believe inside. So now we bring that over to change, apply that to change. Okay. We got to move this along. It's also the true evidence. So acting on, on what you believe causes what you believe to come into existence. The second thing this is teaching us is it's also the true evidence of what you've really decided to do. Right now, I know that every one of you believed that that blue chair could hold you. I know what you believed. And the reason I know what you believed is you're sitting in it. If you weren't comfortable that that would hold you, you'd be standing in the back or on the sides or you would have left. So I know what you believed on that really simple thing by what you did. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. Very familiar story. Well, I'll summarize it for you. Jesus said here, he's just going through what we call what we call the the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's taught them some things, really practical things about attitudes of our life and attitudes of our heart. And then in Matthew 7, you can put it up there. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine, he's coming to the end of his sermon, and does them, hears them, and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Verse 25 and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock verse 26 but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man so you got a wise man and a foolish man who built his house on the sand verse 27 and the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great and great and great was its fall, next verse and so it was when Jesus ended these things the people were astonished at his teaching I had a, that's okay my grandfather was one of the first people to build a house on the beach in a, in a community in South Jersey ended up as a retirement home for him and I'll never forget because I walked out and watched him build it I, I was there for time when it was being built and and there were other houses there were very few houses around but there were other houses being built right on the beach I mean next to the beach not on it next to the beach but it was all sand and I watched them build and they went up my grandfather did something different he had the contractor take telephone poles or pilings I don't know if they're full telephone poles and have them driven down into the sand and then when they laid the foundation and laid the the framework for the, the foundation of the house they bolted the foundation of the house. They bolted the, frame, the wood framing to those pilings. <clears throat> Why would you do that? Well, I remember one time when it was in the fall, I was still a small child. I was visiting my grandparents and I woke up in the morning. We didn't have all the long distance, you know, the, the, all the forecasting things. Uh, we just didn't. We woke up in the morning and I heard water closer than I was used to and I looked out the window and we're surrounded by the ocean a hurricane had come up the coast that morning I watched the tops of houses float by in front of us houses on the left and houses on the right went and two days later when the water receded our house was still there because it was founded not on the sand it was founded on deep seated pilings that went into the sand in this story what Jesus is saying is You've got two men. And the houses represent their lives. They represent our lives. One, same construction, same design. Let's put it this way. They're members of the same church. Hear the same message. Read the same Bible. Listen to the same CDs. Watch the same TV programs. And then a storm of life comes and one of them's life falls apart. They heard the word, they believed the word, the other's stands. What was the difference? Same place, same foundation, same, same, same design, excuse me. The difference is what they built it on. And Jesus explains what that is. They both heard the word, but one of them heard it and did it. And in his mind, in his in the word, that's building your house on the rock. You both have a house. It's what you hear. It's what you understand. The man who heard it and didn't put it into action, under the pressure, what he built fell apart. I want to close with this scripture. I quoted it, before, mentioned it to you before, in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel is a prophet that ministered to the children of Israel while they were in bondage dealing at a time when they were very religious but their hearts were far away and God has him do some strange things and he's about to prophesy about what's going to happen in the future of Israel he's about to correct the priests as here this morning And now God's told him to do these different things. And now God speaks to the prophet himself personally. Verse 30. For as for you, so now he's going to talk to Ezekiel, son of man. The children of your people are talking about you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. (laughs) On the walls and the doors of their houses. They were doing it back then. And they speak to one another. But look at what they're saying. And everyone is saying to his brother, please come and hear the word that comes from the Lord. Wow, what a great message today. So they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people. So this is who he's talking to. And they hear your words, but they don't do them. For their mouth, with their mouth, They show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. So with our minds and our mouth, we can be intending and sincerely want one thing, but our heart can be going in a different direction. And the heart's what matters. Verse 32. Indeed, you are to them as a lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument for they hear your words but they don't do them. In other words they enjoyed what they heard. They're hearers, and they enjoyed what they heard but basically what he's saying is because they enjoyed what they heard it's no different than having gone to a nice concert. I often wonder at the concerts we have here. If that were a prayer meeting, how many people would come? I wonder that one Friday night. If instead of a barbecue dinner, we had a prayer meeting, I wonder how many people would come. Because where's my heart? People come to concerts, and, and, and we bring people in here who share the word. Sometimes it's a challenging word. And, the, and we jump up and down and we scream and we raise our hands and we praise God and we walk out of there and what do we say? Wow, wasn't that a great concert last night? Instead of, God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I better do what God said. And what God is telling Ezekiel is when the people come and they want to hear what you have to say and they're excited what you say, but they have no intention of applying it it's no different than going to a nice concert saying, well, that really pleased me. I heard some good things yesterday. This is sobering stuff, folks. This is what God's been speaking to me about. It gets quiet in this Presbyterian church. And then what will come to pass, and surely it will come, that they will know that a prophet has been among them. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. What he's saying is, Because what God would do is he would send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. And here he's sending one of the last ones. And he says, they're not going to listen to you, but I'm sending you anyway. Why? Because I want them to know I spoke to them. I gave them an opportunity. I was there for them. I was trying to help them. The fact that they closed their hearts, they closed their minds was not my fault. I gave them every opportunity. This is love. I'm giving you every opportunity. Every opportunity. Please listen to me. In, In Psalm 81, God cries out to them and says, Oh, that you would have listened to me. I would have given you something other than than manna and water. I would have given you the finest of honey and the greatest of wheat. I wanted to bless you, but you wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't allow me to bring the change into your life that I wanted to bring so that I could bless you. God's heart this morning is... He wants to set you free. He wants to set me free. He wants to heal us. He doesn't want to see us struggling. That's one of the verses that's going to stop soon. One of the verses that keeps coming back to me is be anxious for nothing. That's easy to read. It's easy to come off our lips. It's another thing, to anxious for nothing. Friday when we closed in here and it was snowing, and you know, and, and it was—I I don't want to say this quite this way, because one of the things I be realized I was getting anxious about is I don't want to lose our power. It gets cold in our house when there's no power. <laughs> and I started finding myself getting just a little bit—not frantic—but I'm checking the, I'm checking the weather. I'm making sure all my phones and e-pads are charged up, which is not unwise. But I'm checking, you know, the grid to see what's going out. And then all of a sudden, the Lord begins to bring the Scripture back to me. Is Is that a thing, John? Yes. He said, I said, be anxious for no thing. That includes whether you're going to lose your power or not. And then he goes on to say, but let your requests be made known. In other words, instead of being anxious about it, ask God to take care of it so I said there I said you know Lord I won't tell you where I was Lord I just declare we're not going to lose our power now listen carefully no sooner did I get those words out of our mouth our power went out and I just what came out of me is Jesus and it came right back on again and I refused from that point on to get anxious those are little things that we let them in us And what it does is it erodes our faith. So God's dealing with me about not being anxious. Big things don't bother me. It's the little things, that foxes, that eat at me sometimes because you don't know they're in there. And so I I stepped out on that. So God wants to set you free from anxiety, from depression, from discouragement, sickness and disease. He wants to do all kinds. He's waiting to do it. And, and, but, but in order for him to be able to do it there's our side of it which is to receive it by faith but faith has to act something my part in this is to reach out somehow and lay hold of what God's promised me and then act as if that's so because if I really believe it's so I'm going to act consistent with what I believe does that make sense to you? we have to end here change is not change until we change Faith by itself, whatever I believe, does not really become something I believe until I'm willing to act on what I believe. And as we begin to step out, and sometimes it's a scary step, that first step out. But God will meet you there and say, even if you make a mistake, because I've stepped out too fast sometimes, I've tripped up the steps stepped out too fast sometimes but because my heart was designed to do that what's right in God's eyes He was there to protect me to catch me and then redirect me because a lot of the times we don't step out because we're afraid of failing and so we hold back and therefore we don't change we don't allow God to bring into our life what He wants to bring into our life but I've found even if I make a mistake and I'm trying to trust Him God's there to to catch me, to correct me, bring people alongside of me. But it's when I sit there afraid of change, when I sit there afraid, then God's not able to help me because I'm that boxcar that's not moving. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today and help us to take what we've heard and to not just be hearers, but to doers. I believe, Father, that for every one of us, whatever it is you show us, you're going to give us something to do. To step, to step out on that word that we hear. We thank you for the wisdom that we need. We thank you for the counsel that people bring into our lives to help us. But ultimately, that counselor is the one who lives inside of us. And we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Before